to another edition of Cheers Takeaway. It's going to be a Cheers Takeaway for immunological emergencies. And this will be for the ENT. You know, when you start talking about immunological emergencies, you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck is that all about? Well, immunological emergencies are really dealing with things that are going to be more related to the idea of an allergic reaction. These types of emergencies that we run into, usually the biggest issues that we have are the fact that they cause some form of airway obstruction. Now, these are not going to be foreign body airway obstructions, but they are going to be a medical version of an airway obstruction. And we're also going to look at cardiovascular collapse. So here we're talking about the fact that either a pump issue, a volume issue, or a vessel issue has caused us to have a little bit of a problem in relationship to either an allergic reaction or really when it gets into the life threat, an anaphylactic reaction. So for us, we have to be able to identify those things that are going to be a life threat. And we have to be able to distinguish between what the body's natural or their usual response to some type of allergen is, or is this truly a significant allergic reaction. You know, when you talk about those allergic reactions, these are foreign bodies or foreign substances that get into the body. And as a result, it initiates a response from the immunological system. That's right. That's why we call it the immunological emergencies. So when we talk about the immunological system, we're talking about whether or not the body is responding to some type of invader. And it is the immunological response that truly is causing the problem. So when one looks at an allergic reaction, it is truly an exaggerated response from the immune system. So it's not really a, per se, a problem with maybe the stinger or the food that may have caused the problem. It's the reaction that those foreign substances have caused. Now, an allergic reaction, for the most part, can be something that is mild. It may be something that is just local where maybe they have some itching or redness and some tenderness at that site, or it could be something that is severe. And when we talk about things that are severe, this could be something such as systemic. This is where it's going to go system-wide, and it may involve many multiple organs, usually what we mean by the systematic. That is a condition that we have to worry about. This is anaphylaxis. Now, anaphylaxis is a life-threatening allergic reaction. And as I just mentioned earlier, it involves multiple organ systems. And in severe cases, it can result in shock, hence the reason why we have this thing in distributive shock that is called anaphylaxis, so an anaphylactic shock. In the most common issues or the most common signs that we'll see are people that may have some type of angioedema, which is going to be some swelling of that upper airway. They have wheezing, which is going to be a lower airway problem. Now, just in those two, 
This is where we start talking about the airway obstruction. You will also typically notice, and doesn't have to be there, by the way, these do not always have to be there, but you also may notice that people have hives, or what you will refer to many times, or see referred to many times, as urticaria. Now, hypotension, or that significant low blood pressure, is usually the result of the vessels dilating significantly. And as a result of this, it increases capillary permeability. So when we talk about shock and we talk about anaphylactic shock, we're talking that the vessels have grown significantly, but the blood is not able to fill them up. And this is our problem. These are folks that may experience some nausea, vomiting. They may also have some abdominal cramps. And again, these are issues that we may typically see in people that are experiencing shock. Now, there are some common allergens that people uh, can have. Food, medication, maybe plants, chemicals, and of course we run into insects. Now with food, really one of the most common are going to be peanuts. Peanut allergies or maybe shellfish are going to be one of our most common triggers that we can find as it relates to food. Now, sometimes these symptoms may take up to about 30 minutes for, for them to appear, and they may involve the respiratory and cardiovascular systems, and you may or may not see hives as well. Now, medications is something that we may get called for quite frequently. And what I mean by that is, is that we can get called for an allergic reaction, somebody has taken a medication, and they're now having an allergic reaction to it. But reactions to those oral medications that people may have taken by mouth, they can take up to about 30 minutes or more to appear, and they may also be pretty severe. Now, if it's injected, these are things that are almost immediate. So sometimes you will hear people say, oh, I've had this for a couple of days, and now I'm having this reaction. A lot of times, it may not be that allergic reaction. Now, we are going to have to treat them for the allergic reaction, but I will tell you that there is, and this is well beyond where we're at for EMTs, is that we have to take a look at how long an individual may be taking a medication before they actually have an allergic reaction to it. Yes, they do have some science on those. Plants may also be things such as pollens. You know, myself, I have a allergy to particularly um, pollens and dust as well. And it causes more along the lines of a minor to a moderate allergic reaction. But these are things that if people are exposed to particular things, they can have a significant problem. Now, people may be allergic to ragweed. They may be allergic to different trees. You know, maybe pine, could be oak. And when it hits fall, those are things that can also cause a problem for them as well. Chemicals. These are taking a look at maybe soap or could be latex. 
And in some cases, this is when people actually have um, more severe allergic reactions. Latex is of a big concern for us in healthcare. One, it means that we, after significant exposures, may develop an allergic reaction to the latex. And we also have to worry about our patients that we come in contact with. As a matter of fact, this is a good time to bring up that when we talk about scene safety and we talk about the old language of BSI or body substance isolation, which is old language. Today, we talk more about PPE, personal protective equipment, or standard precautions. And if you take a look at OSHA, OSHA actually has a recommendation for bloodborne pathogens as utilizing latex gloves only when needed. So that means that if that individual is having a problem and they're having an allergic reaction and there's bleeding, maybe we need to consider utilizing other types of drug gloves, maybe nitrile. But again, people can be allergic to those too. So it is a very touchy situation. And it gets down to, you know, finding out before you touch the patient if they're allergic to latex. Because you could trigger an allergic reaction just by simply reaching down to check their skin, checking their pulse, and we may cause a problem. And we get into insect stings, right? Insect stings are going to be those things that are going to be referred to as envenomation. And this is where that insect has injected its venom. And the reaction may be something that is local or it could be something that is going to be severe and again more systemic. Insect stings account for about 50 deaths in the United States every year and of those half have never experienced a reaction prior to those stings. Now if the stinger is not removed because there are times that if the stinger you know, if the, if the uh, insect stings them, such as a honeybee, the honeybee doesn't have the ability to pull their stinger out. So it actually eviscerates them, meaning that it eviscerates the insect. So the honeybee actually eviscerates itself. And therefore, as long as that stinger is still in the person, it can still inject the venom for up to about 20 minutes. Now, wasps and hornets, and sometimes you deal with some of your fire ants, those things strike repeatedly, multiple times. And they typically do not lose their stinger. People are going to have pain, swelling. You may hear them say it's very hot in that area, even if we touch it. They have itching. You may see that there are some wheels where these are going to be raised, swollen areas. And sometimes these things just remain localized and can be painful right at the site. Other times, as we described earlier, these things can develop into anaphylaxis where they develop those bronchospasms. 
And as a result of the bronchial spasming, this is why when we listen to their breath sounds, that you may hear the wheezing. You hear that, you hear that whistling sound, and that's more of the wheeze. As a result of that, they may develop chest tightness and coughing because they can't get enough air in. They develop that shortness of breath. They become anxious because of this. They may have some gastrointestinal complaints and later on develop some form of hypotension. If an, if an anaphylactic reaction is left to progress, patients can die rapidly. And oftentimes, this can occur within 30 minutes. So it becomes important for us to identify it and treat it aggressively. So what are the things we're going to look at? Well, we talked a little bit earlier about scene safety. And quite frankly, every time we do a Tim's takeaway, I just bring back up, you know, don't forget about that whole scene safety issue. If you need more about it, go take a look at the patient assessment area. But here we're just going to review a little bit of the scene safety, some things to keep in mind, such as what if they got stung by bees? You know, what if they were exposed to particular pollen or food? You know, are you also having trouble with that? Is that something that you may have a problem with? Our airway breathing and circulation are always going to be the same. But because there is some swelling that occurs of the airway, we need to be aware of that. And not all allergic reactions are going to have anaphylaxis. But they may require some oxygen therapy initially. And if it progresses or we get there and it's severe, we may need to take over their ventilation. We have to look for shock. Our biggest thing that we can take a look at is, is if they have an allergic reaction, an anaphylactic reaction, where it's severe, then we have to become aggressive with the administration of epinephrine. We'll talk about epinephrine in a little bit, but just as a precursor, something to keep in mind. If it is something that is popping into your head saying, I need to administer epinephrine to these folks, then you should probably be doing it. One of our biggest problems, and this comes from the World Allergy Association, who says we are pretty reluctant in giving the administration of epinephrine to folks. And this goes for all forms of medicine. But it is what they need. If you go back to cardiac, we would not hesitate for the most part, we don't hesitate to administer defibrillation. But when it comes to epinephrine and administering epinephrine to an allergic reaction, for some reason, we all hold off a little bit. And I think it's because we're worried about what's going to happen. And as I said, we're going to talk about a little bit of that here in a little bit. If the patient is unconscious or they're not able to communicate, we got to make sure that we remove those clothes and look for any types of stings. Look for any type of contact with some chemicals that may be there. Again, this comes back to our detailed assessment. Patients are unconscious. They are like evidence. We need to search through the evidence and find out what is happening with the patient. Look for medic alert tags that may give us a clue that they may be allergic to something. Listen for breath sounds. 
check out their skin. Look for those rashes and see whether or not they have any hives that are present. And as always, we need to establish good baseline vital signs and continue to monitor these throughout. Our biggest interventions is really based off the severity of the reaction. Mild reactions more along the lines of more supportive care and keeping an eye on what's going on, including pulse oximetry, temperatures, blood pressures, pulse, respiratory rate. Whereas anaphylaxis, we have to become more aggressive with the treatment, and this includes administering epinephrine and providing some ventilatory support with a bag valve mask. And as always, anytime we provide treatment to a patient, we need to reassess and we need to find out whether or not the treatment that we have given or the treatment that we have provided is working, is a benefit. Now, if they have that reaction, if they have a stinger, we need to scrape that away. And we can use something maybe as your driver's license or if you have a credit card. But don't use tweezers or forceps because you may actually end up forcing more of the venom in if the sac withholds the venom is actually still there. Now this is where we get into a little bit of controversy. How do you position the patient? Well, if they are already experiencing anaphylaxis and they're short of breath and they're vomiting and they have abdominal cramping, you know, do you really put them in a supine position? And this is really something that you have to decide on your own because if they're having problems breathing, we have to put them in a comfortable position, which most likely is going to be upright. So therefore, keeping them in a supine position may be a problem. So you have to decide, you have to make the choice. Airway, breathing, circulation always have to come up. But one good thing is, is that if you've already administered epinephrine, it may actually help you in the long run here. You know, epinephrine is a sympathomimetic hormone, which basically means that it mimics the sympathetic nervous system. Remember that this is the fight or flight response. And this was not only talked about in the human body, this was also discussed in toxicological emergencies as well. Now, usually epinephrine is prescribed by a physician and it's a pre-dosed auto-injector. One of the most common that you hear on the market is called EpiPen, but there are others. Epinephrine pen is what people are going to refer to it as. And you may have the ability to carry your own epinephrine. So in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, BLS services, the basic life support services, with the blessing of the medical director, may carry adult and pediatric doses of an EpiPen to be used for an allergic reaction. Now for the adults, we're talking an EpiPen that delivers about 0.3 milligrams of epinephrine. The pediatric version delivers 0.15 milligrams. And it becomes important for us as EMS professionals to recall 
what the dosages are. Now, it does have a side effect. And the good news is, is that when you give epinephrine, you're probably going to see the reaction or see the changes occur within a few minutes. But you have to be aware of the side effects. And you may need to refer, you really do need to tell the patient what's going to happen. That their pulse rate is going to increase because the sympathetic nervous system causes the heart rate to increase. They're going to become anxious. They may develop cardiac arrhythmias where their heart rate not only goes up, but it may also cause it to go into an electrical issue. Okay, um, They may develop some dizziness and chest pain, develop headaches, nausea, and may even vomit. But patients who do not have signs of respiratory compromise or hypotension and who don't meet the diagnosis of anaphylaxis should not be given epinephrine. And I think this is probably where my earlier statement comes into play, that we're worried about what's going to happen if I give the patient epi. Again, if the patient warrants the need for epi, that gut instinct is telling you, I really need to give this epinephrine to them because they're having a problem then we're going to have to deal with that. And that's probably when you're going to have to give epinephrine. By the way, anybody who has received epinephrine IM, which is the way that we're giving it, they need to be evaluated in the emergency department. Regardless if they took it before you got there, you gave it to them, or whatever the case, they need to be evaluated in the emergency department. So it was a little overview, uh, a little description of what is happening with immunological emergencies. And for us, it really deals with the allergic reaction and how can we reverse those things. So with that, I think that we have now just concluded another Tim's Takeaway. I hope you found this informative and we'll talk to you again.